Well, glory. Exodus chapter 3 this morning, the first of six messages on the call of God. This series is a very emotional one for me. It's a very personal one because God has a call on each and every one of us as his children. Maybe you've never known what the call of God is on your life. Maybe you're not living that call. Maybe you're running from the call of God. Maybe you just need to be affirmed in that call. We're going to we're going to settle, hopefully, a lot of those issues in the next six weeks, so I hope you'll be with us. At the end of these six weeks, on the last Sunday that we do our anointing series, or our series on the call of God, we're going to have another anointing service at the end. Because I believe that God is going to call some of you into a new season of life, into maybe a new season of service for him. And we want to anoint you into that after these six weeks. Over these next six weeks, we're going to be looking at today, Moses, next week, Samuel, then Esther, then Isaiah, Jeremiah, and finally, Saul. Today, Exodus chapter 3, the call of Moses. And let's again be reminded that the Bible says that each and every one of us as God's child has a calling. Does God have a calling for us as a church? He does, but that's not what we're going to be talking about over these next six weeks. These next six weeks, we're going to get really personal because God has a personal call for each of you. The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, therefore, brothers and sisters, partakers of a heavenly calling. Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 3, 14, I press toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call, the, the call of heaven and the call toward heaven. The Bible talks about the fact that you and I as God's people, have a call upon our life. And what we're going to hopefully discover over these next six weeks is the way God called others is, is very similar to the way God calls us. And yet he calls us into a very personal and unique and specific ministry that he had planned for us even before he created us. So join with me this morning as we begin in chapter 3. Here we're going to discover in the life of Moses, like in our life, that God speaks into our ordinary lives, transforming everything by his presence, and then calling us to do his healing and liberating work in this world. That's what he was doing with Moses. And by the way, before we even get to verse 1 of chapter 3, let me say something very important about what happened in chapter 2 that you and I can hopefully identify with too. Our past, no matter what it is, does not prevent the call of God upon our life now. Okay? 
Remember what happened in chapter 2 of Exodus. Moses murdered a man, okay? So don't let your past cancel you out from thinking that somehow God doesn't still want to call you at some point in your life because you've done something so horrific, so bad, it's, it's such a dark path or whatever, that God, through his grace and through the blood of Jesus Christ and through your salvation and sanctification, can overcome all of that. He can't. So don't allow your past any more than Moses to define the call of God upon your life. Secondly, when you come into chapter 3, you see that Moses was now shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro in the far side of the desert. God can find us anywhere, even on the far side of the desert. And what was Moses doing? He was shepherding a flock that he had been doing now for 40-some years. And what does that teach us about the call of God? It reminds us that no matter what our past, if God finds us faithful in what we're doing now, we grab God's attention. Because God's eyes are looking all over the earth, searching for those who are faithful to do what they should be doing right now. Faithful. Moses was being a faithful shepherd. And oh, by the way, what he was learning by being a shepherd those 40 years was he was learning to lead a flock of sheep just like God was going to call him to lead a bigger flock of sheep, his people out of Egypt. And here's something else that makes sense. Why was God tapping him? Well, who knew better from their past the language, the culture, the way things worked, the leadership of Egypt more than Moses did? You see, it reminds us that even our experiences, God will use to tie in to his calling because everything in the life of a child of God is purposeful. And God, even the Bible says, can work all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We see that here in chapter 3, verse 1. So notice then in verse 2, the angel of the Lord, which is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ, appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. He looked, and the bush was ablaze with fire, but it was not being consumed. God, like he did with Moses, will seek to get our attention. God seeks the attention of his people. Now, a bush burning out there on the backside of the desert was not an unusual sight for Moses. Just like here, it's hot, it's dry, uh, bushes can burn. The unusual part of the bush burning was that it kept burning and it never burned up or burned out. It just kept burning. So Moses says in verse 3, I will turn aside, really important words, to see this amazing sight, why does the bush not burn up? Why are the words turn aside so important? Because notice what it says then in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush. You see, 
God did not speak until he had Moses' attention. And even though it might have been a pretty spectacular thing to see a bush not being consumed, like many of us, God tries to get our attention and we just keep on walking. It's like we don't take the time to turn aside and really think about, is God trying to say something to me in this circumstance, through this situation, through this person? Because Sometimes God will come pretty dramatically into our life, like a burning bush experience, but there's other times where God will simply have a still small voice and try to get our attention through maybe all the clamor and clutter and loud voices out there. But God, as he's calling us, will seek to get our attention and just see, do you care about turning aside and seeing maybe what I have for you? Or are you so wrapped up in what your life is right now and what you're doing that you just keep on plowing ahead and you don't turn aside? Because again, this is so key here. It was only when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside that God began to speak to him. And God's first words was what? His name. Moses. Moses. The God of the universe knows each of us by name. Never forget that. There are most of the people in this world right now do not know us by name. The movers and the shakers, all the powerful people that, that, that wouldn't give us the time of day. But the God of the universe loves you. And the God of the universe cares about you, and the God of the universe has a calling upon your life, and the God of the universe, who knows you better than you and I know ourselves, knows us by name and calls us by name, just as he did Moses. And Moses said, here I am. We're going to come back to that later in the message, but I want you to keep those three words in mind because that's where God wants all of us to land during this series. Just saying, God, I hear you calling. Here I am. Does God have your attention this morning? Because God seeks the attention of his people. Do you hear God calling you this morning? Have you been faithful? Because God is not going to call you to something greater until he sees that we are being faithful in what he's already given to us. These are the lessons we've learned up to this point about Moses and his calling. But notice as we continue, verse 5, God said, do not approach any closer. Don't come any closer, Moses. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. What do we learn there? That God wanted to teach Moses a very important principle that would be very key to him living out his calling. And that is that the presence of God transforms ordinary things. There was nothing special about that ground. That ground was just like any other ground. 
What made it holy was God was there. That's what made that ground holy, so that everywhere that God went, that's holy ground. Now think about that even in our context. There's nothing extra special about this building. I love our building. I, I think it's a beautiful building. It's a great place to come and, and for us to meet as God's people. But there's nothing extra special about the brick and mortar, if you will, in this building. What makes this building holy ground and special is because God is here. And everywhere that God goes is holy ground because of his presence. Everything that God is a part of is holy ground because God makes it so. Every life that God is involved with is special because God is a part of it. Everything that God touches is holy and sacred and special, not because of that, but because God is a part of it. That's what God wanted to teach Moses. Then he says, verse 7 to Moses, Four things in verse 7 and 8. I've seen, I've heard, I know, and I've come down. I'm very well aware of what's going on in Egypt. You ever felt like as God's people, God doesn't really know what's going on in my life? Yes, he does. God knew exactly what was going on. Every last detail of how his people were suffering in slavery in Egypt. He knew He'd heard, he'd seen, and now he's announcing to Moses, it's time now for me to do something about it. I'm going to deliver my people. And guess who I've chosen to lead them out? Verse 10. So now Moses, go. And I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. When God sends any of us, the word send means that we go in the power and authority of God. It's the same principle that you and I as New Testament Christians have when we read what's called the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Based on that authority, now you have my authority to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you until the end. Go. If I'm sending you, then you're going in my authority and power. So the only thing then that you and I have to come to terms with is, is God sending me? Or is somebody else, or am I sending myself? Because if God is sending us, if God is calling us, and he's saying, I'm the one that's sending you. I'm the one that's asking you to do this. Then everything that we do to carry that out, we do in the authority and power of God. Also notice God says in verse 12, surely I will be with you. Not only will I send you, I will be with you. And when God is with us in carrying out his calling, we then go in the provision and sufficiency of God. 
So we not only go in the authority and power of God because he's sending us, but because he's with us, then everything that is at God's disposal, which is the resources of the universe, everything that's in God becomes ours as well. We go in his provision and his sufficiency. Now, Moses did not recognize at this juncture that God made all the difference. Even though God said, I transformed this simple dirt into holy ground. Later on, he says to Moses, Moses, throw your staff down on the ground, and it became a snake. Then he said, oh, put your hand in your coat and then take it out. Oh, it's leprous. Now put it back in again and take it out. Oh, it's totally healed. What was God doing there? Again, he was saying, I can transform anything, including you, Moses. I can transform ordinary things and make them extraordinary. I make all the difference, but Moses hadn't gotten there yet, just like many of us. And if we, like Moses, do not recognize that God makes all the difference, then we will begin to throw up to God as he calls us uh, our objections or excuses of why we can't do what God's asking us to do. And they will sound very much like Moses's. Notice the first one, verse 11, a lack of adequacy. Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, for many, they say, well, Moses is just being a humble guy. But God called him. God called him. And Moses is saying, oh, that's, that's too big for me. I, I'm not adequate to do that. Well, again, God never said to Moses, you'd be adequate. God says, I make all the difference. By you saying, who am I, your focus is still on you instead of on me, the almighty Lord of hosts. you got to get your eyes off of you, Moses, and get it on me. Because, honestly, none of us are adequate to carry out God's calling. None of us. In a sense, we all could say, who am I? Because the other thing I, I want to say at this point is this. God's calling will always be much bigger or greater or grander than you and I feel we could ever do on our own. Or let me say it another way. If you feel right now that you are living out the calling of God, but you do not need to depend and rely continually upon God to do it, then that's not the calling of God. It's not big enough. See, God's calling will always be something that is so beyond us that we need to rely and depend upon him to do it. Why would God call us to do something that we don't need him to do? And that's where many Christians sometimes, why we miss so much in life because we don't want to go beyond ourselves. We don't ever want to be involved in something that's going to be bigger than us. If we can't handle it in our own sort of wit and wisdom and understanding and all that, then, no, sorry. 
And all I can say is, if that's your attitude, you will never truly experience the full calling God had for you while here on this earth. Because God's calling is always going to be bigger than you. You all know my story of even starting this church. That was my answer to God. God, who am I? I can't start a church. I've been in ministry. I know how to pastor. I know how to teach your word. I don't know the first thing about starting a church. And God said, I know you're not adequate, Jeff. I will make you adequate. Because it's not about you. It's about me. I'll make all the difference. So many of us object and give an excuse that we're not adequate. God says, surely I'll be with you. And that should have been enough. Verse 12. Then verse 13, another excuse or objection, a lack of answers. God, I don't have all the answers. Moses said to God, if I go to the Israelites and tell them the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I say to them? I don't have answers, God. I don't have all the answers. First of all, God was going to tell him later, I'll give you whatever answers I want you to have and what you really need. Depend upon me again. Trust me. Maybe you don't feel you have all the answers right now. Maybe you'll never have all the answers. None of us ever do. But that should not stop us because, again, God and his sufficiency makes all the difference as we live out the calling of God. God said to Moses, verse 14, I am that I am. Tell him that. I am the self-existent, self-reliant, self-defined one, the only one in the universe who doesn't need anything or anyone else to exist, the only one in the universe who doesn't need to rely or depend on anything or anyone else, and I am the only one in the universe who defines myself. Nobody else. I am. We'll talk more about this later on in another series that I'm going to be doing in a couple months. Notice the next objection, chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, and if they do not believe me or pay attention to me, but say, the Lord has not appeared to you, a lack of authority. In verse 11 of chapter 3, a lack of adequacy. In verse 13 of chapter 3, a lack of answers. Now you come to chapter 4, now it's a lack of authority. God, I don't have the authority. God already said, I'm the one sending you. I'll be with you. You have my authority. And here's the thing. I skipped over it for the sake of time, but if you read verses 14 through verse 22 of chapter 3, basically God lays out detail by detail everything that was going to happen before it happened. He said, when you go back, here's what's going to, oh, the people that were seeking your life, they're all dead now. The elders will listen to you. In other words, God is basically, I know what's going to happen before it happens. Here, Moses, to reassure you, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what you're going to face when you get to Egypt. And here it is for you. And he still was objecting. I mean, God could not have been more patient with Moses, just like he is with us, right? Because very often, just like Moses, when God is calling us to something greater, most of us isn't like, here I am. <laughs> most of us like, well, God, I don't know. You don't, you know, there's this and what if that and all these different things. So there's a lack of authority and God's already answered that. And then if you come over to chapter 4, verse 10, 
The final objection that Moses gives, the lack of ability. That's where many of us get to as well. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not an eloquent man, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. I don't have the ability, God. Again, Moses didn't get the fact that God makes all the difference and God transforms ordinary things. So notice what God says. This is so important. The Lord said to him, Who gave a mouth to man or makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? we got to stop there. This is huge. Is it not I, the Lord? Don't miss what God is saying to his people here in chapter 4, verse 11. It's one of the most important things God says to his people, especially in light of his calling. God designed us when he created us with his calling in mind. You see, God didn't just haphazardly and flippantly create us. God thought through and gave very careful thought to every detail of how he created us so that when he called us, the gifts and talents and abilities and temperament and all of these things could fit in with his calling. So... If we do not embrace how God made us, we will struggle our whole life to embrace who he made us to be. That's why it hurts the heart of God when he hears his people say, God made me tall, I wish I was shorter. God made me shorter, I wish I was taller. God made me with this color hair. I wish he would have made me with this color hair. God made me with these color eyes. I wish he'd have made me with these colored eyes. God gave me this ability, but I'd rather have that other person's ability. God gave me this strength, but I'd rather have this person's strength. You see how that would hurt the heart of God? That would be like us having the, you know, audacity to walk into the Louvre Museum in Paris, France, and go up to a Rembrandt painting and say, Rembrandt, you don't really know what you're doing. Let me add some stuff to it or change it. We'd all be appalled. Like, who would want to do that to a great masterpiece from a master painter like Rembrandt? And yet God's people and every human being does that to the master artist every day because we don't like the way God made us. We want to change and be something else. And God, part of why knowing God created us and trusting the way he created us is because the way God created us is tied to his calling. In fact, notice what God goes on to say, or I should say, I want to go back and look at what God said again to Moses. Who makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? In other words, God is saying, I am so sufficient that I am more than enough to overcome not only your deficiencies, but what you view as your disabilities. Because I made you that way. And let me give you a personal testimony from my own life. And this is something that happened over 50 years ago and still sticks with me and resonates with me to this day. So I think God does really know what he's doing. 
Two people that made the most impression upon me as a young child in the little church that I grew up in back in Western Maryland was a blind pianist and a deaf artist. We had both in my little church in Western Maryland. And even as a child, when that blind man would get up and be led to the piano and play the piano, I even as a child was like my jaw was dropped. I never heard someone play the piano more beautifully to the glory of God than that man. You see, he didn't allow his even disability or deficiency to keep him from following God's call and to give glory to God. And neither did that deaf artist who she painted some of the most beautiful paintings I've ever seen in my life. Though she may have had a disability or a deficiency in one area, God certainly gifted her in another area. You see, God knows what he's doing. And God is saying to Moses, I know you're not the best speaker, but I'll be with you. And I'm the one sending you. So I can overcome, and I am more than enough to overcome whatever deficiencies or disabilities you may have. Listen, God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows our weaknesses. God's not taken back when we say, oh, God, but what about this? Like God's up there going, I didn't know that about you. I, I didn't know you ha couldn't do that. Oh, wait a minute, then. I've got to refigure my calling then. No! There might be a very good reason why that's not a strength. Because maybe if that's not a strength and God's calling me to do something in that area, maybe that means, guess what? I need to trust that God's going to be sufficient and God's going to be more than enough to overcome that weakness or deficiency or disability in my life. God knows what he's doing. And we need to trust him in it. That's why... We finally get to verse 13, and Moses says, and here it is, <laughs> Moses' objections and excuses were really a cover for his unwillingness. Because what really comes out in the end is, oh, my Lord, and at least he said, please, right? <laughs> please send anyone else whom you wish to send. In other words, think of Moses just looking at the Lord and saying, I don't want to. When it comes right down to it, Lord, it's not about my lack of adequacy or answers or authority or ability. When it really comes down to it, if I'm honest, I don't want to. And that may be where many are. Because can I say this at the beginning of this series on the call of God? Whatever objections or excuses you and I as God's people use for not following God's call, none of them, none of them fly. We just have to get rid of that. It, it doesn't fly. Whatever objections or excuses we have used to somehow get out of doing the call of God on our life, it doesn't work. So let's at least be honest if we're not willing and say like Moses, just please, anybody else but me. I don't want to. And notice God's reaction. To some, this takes back. 
And can I say, a lot of preachers and even teachers, they just sweep this verse under the rug, like, I can't deal with God getting angry. But that's exactly what happened. The Lord became angry with Moses. Literally in the Hebrew, I love this, it says his nostrils flared. If you give God, like, you know, human characteristics, his, he wasn't out of control like we are. He didn't have this outburst of anger. What does it mean the Lord became angry? Well, what it means is God is passionately engaged with his people. God feels so deeply because he loves us so deeply. And when he saw Moses on the verge of rejecting his call, he knew how tragic that would be, not for him, God, but for Moses. And so again, unlike us, God focuses his anger creatively rather than vindictively by providing support for Moses. By saying, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? In other words, I'll give you that. Guess what, though, Moses? You're going to miss out because by me now providing Aaron to be your spokesperson, you're going to miss out on the blessing of being the mouthpiece alone. But because you were reluctant, I'll give you Aaron. And by the way, if you know the story of Moses and Aaron, you know many times Aaron was a thorn in Moses' side. So again, Moses was the one that's going to suffer because of his reluctance to just embrace God's will and just say, okay, God, I trust you, I'll do it. But don't miss the fact that when God gets angry with his people, it's not a vindictive anger. It's not like you and I where we can't control our emotions and where we have these outbursts and then we're regretful and sorry for the things we've done and said. No, no. If he gets angry at us, it's because he loves us so much. He wants us to embrace his calling and his will for our life because he knows that's exactly what he created us for in the first place. And that we're the ones that's going to miss out in life and throughout eternity, if we continue to say no to his plan and to his purpose. So I direct your attention back to verse 4 of chapter 3. Here's where God wants us to get. He wants us to get to that place where as he gets our attention and we hear him speaking to us, we say these three words to him without objections and without excuses and without a declaration of unwillingness. Here I am. Here I am. God has a calling for every one of us in this room today. Every one of us. Do you know what that calling is? Has God got your attention? Are you listening for his voice? Are you being faithful to what God has already given you? And are you trusting that God makes all the difference when he comes and speaks into our life? Because God has a calling for everyone.
God wants us to embrace that calling because he made us. He took the time to go over every detail of how he made us because that coincides with his calling for our life. Who made man's mouth? Who made the blind and the deaf? Is it not I, the Lord? Remember, God's calling is always much bigger than us, more than we could ever handle on our own. But God's calling is always in line with needing God. We have to continually rely and depend upon God to step out of the boat and to walk on the water as he bids us to come. Don't stay in that comfortable little zone you've put yourself in maybe for years. Be willing to say those three words to the Lord. Here am I. And listen, maybe you're honestly saying today, I'm not ready for that yet. Okay. Keep coming back for the next five weeks. Let God continue to work and speak into your life as we go through each of these calls of God upon an individual. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, I, I, I ask today that you would be patient with us, God, because, Lord, it does take us a little while to get to where we need to be. But, God, I thank you for your patience and your persistence. I thank you, God, that you love us so much that it moves you when we don't embrace what you have for us. You're not a God that can't feel. You're not a God that loves so shallowly that, Lord, when your people are struggling to, to follow you, that it doesn't matter to you. It does matter to you. Your will matters to you for us. Your calling that you have for us, that you created us for, it matters to you because we matter to you, God. You love us more than we could ever imagine. And I pray today, God, that we would trust you enough. And even as Nicole prayed, God, that we would have the faith like never before to say to you today, God, in spite of how daunting and how big and how great your calling may seem to us, that, God, we will say to you or begin to say to you, here am I, or here I am. No objections, no excuses. God, move in amongst us today. Raise up a group of people that are willing to embrace your call upon our lives. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.